Gateway. Uh, my name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we are, we are really glad to have you. We're glad to have everybody. Uh, we're really uh, excited to have our boys and girls in with us this morning. Boys and girls, welcome. Uh, we like having you here because this is, this is the whole family, Jesus' whole family at Gateway. We get to gather together. And this is also an opportunity for the little ones to watch their parents uh, and other adults uh, worship Jesus and, and listen to his word. So we're going to do that right now. But before we get started, um, I want to do a true false with the boys and girls. So if you got a bag, if you brought a bag in with you this morning, you've got a true false button. Can I see some of those, the true false buttons? Yeah, some of you have them. Yeah, let's see it. True false buttons. That's right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, say several uh, silly things about animals, and you're going to tell me if the thing I say is true or false. You just hold it up. You've got to be brave. True or false. Own your, own, your, uh, own your answer. I did this to my wife, Miss Diane, last night. She missed most of them. So uh, number one, true or false. Flamingos are pink because they eat shrimp. True or false. Okay, that is true. Shrimp can, true. Shrimp contain the colorant called carotene, so as soon as the flamingo stops eating shrimp, its feathers turn white again. Who knew? Several of you did. Uh, second, rattlesnakes rattle before they attack their prey. True or false? Rattlesnakes rattle before they attack their prey. Lots of truths, a couple of faults. That's false. Rattlesnakes only rattle when they are scared, uh, when they feel threatened. Third, tarantula bites are deadly. True or false? Tarantula bites are deadly. True or false? And that answer is false. They're painful, but their venom isn't deadly. Fourth, sharks. Sharks are always swimming around in the ocean. Sharks. Sharks must keep swimming to stay alive. Boys and girls, true or false? True or false? Lots of trues. I see a few false. That's true. Sharks suffocate when they stop swimming. Water must constantly flow past their gills to get oxygen. Next, mice. Mice love to eat cheese. True or false? True or false? We've got some trues and we've got some falses. I hope some of you are keeping score because I'm seeing some adults raise some up and you're usually not right. Uh, mice love to eat cheese. False. This is only true for cartoon mice. That's why we put peanut butter on our mouse traps. Next. Sorry. Uh, next. Pandas. <laughs> pandas like to go to the bathroom while doing a handstand. Do not try that at home. True or false. Pandas like to go to the bathroom while doing a handstand. That is true. Pandas do a handstand while going to the bathroom so they can get their scent on the tree as high as possible. Do not take notes, dads. Okay. Uh, a cockroach, a cockroach can live for up to nine days without its head. True or false? <laughs> without its head. Uh, that is true. It is not true of Kevin, but it is true of cockroaches. Uh, with cockroaches, part of the nervous system is in their head, but their, their brain is in their body. 
so they can go without a head until they die of hunger or thirst. Uh, uh, Final animal answer, uh, crocodiles cry crocodile tears when they eat. True or false? They cry crocodile tears when they eat. Let's see it. True, false. That is true. When crocodiles swallow prey, it puts pressure on their tear ducts, which means they quite literally cry crocodile tears over dinner. Some of you have heard that phrase, crocodile tears. That's where it comes from. Final true, false answer. True or false, everyone. True or false. Gateway is engaged in a month of prayer this month. Yes, that is true. We're spending this month, the month of January, in prayer. And I hope some of you have been able to sign up. And even if you have not signed up yet, there are two more weeks to cover in prayer. And we're signing up hour by hour to pray. We're focusing in the prayer on whatever God brings to mind, but we're, 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 we're focusing on what God has for us next as individuals and as families and as a church. So uh, Kevin is not just up here to look handsome. This is Kevin Ball. And uh, Kevin has, he doesn't need any applause, okay? Uh, and Kevin has signed up for uh, some hours of prayer over the last couple of weeks. And uh, I just wanted your experience, Kevin. So hold that microphone close to your mouth. Uh, you signed up for an hour to pray this past week. How did you feel going into it? And you did it the first week too. So before this even started, how did you feel going into this, Kevin? Uh, so it was interesting. I, I think what I was really looking at it was an opportunity to spend some time with God and, and also to take some time away. And it's been tremendous. It really has been tremendous. Wow, that's awesome. Have you done this before? Have you tried to kind of set aside a lengthy period of time and let's go for it? I confess I have not. <laughs> okay. Uh, how, literally, how did you spend the hour? What did you do with your time? So interestingly, uh, your, your truth and false questions were actually play right into what They I were was, not. Okay, no, I, I, we didn't rehearse this. But it, it, so you thought about animals. No, I, I actually thought about last week's sermon. You talked about the promises of God. And I didn't know anything about the promises of God, so I said, well, I'll do some meditation on that and find out what the promises of God are. So I, I went into that and looked at the promises of God, and I was immediately overwhelmed because there's like 750 promises of God. And, and so it was like, I, I can't do this. Ten times that many, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, what I ended up doing was I focused on one, which was uh, we're promised the, the Holy Spirit. And I was like, well, I don't really know exactly what that means and you know I've heard it and I believe in it you know I believe that we get it with the baptism but what exactly is it and so I started doing research on it because as I see these prayer times they're really kind of times to do a deep dive dive in and as I was looking at it um, one of the one of the resources I looked at said well the Holy Spirit is a who not a what and traditionally when I've thought about the Holy Spirit I thought about something like the wind or something like a force. And this person was really saying, no, it's a person. It's a someone. It's a someone that's in your life. And I started thinking about, well, what does this someone have to do with my identity? And so that was the focus of my prayer this week. Wow, that, awesome. is, that is awesome. So it was a rich time for you. you felt it was a, an incredible a time. Of time. Connection. It was an incredible time. And the, and the other thing is that when I started thinking about it as a, as a who as opposed to a what, so... 
no one really thinks, when you think about the wind, you don't think about what the, the wind would think in your life. But when you think about the Holy Spirit as a person, and you think about the possibility of either pleasing it or grieving it, which I had never thought about really before, I thought, oh my God, I, I really missed it. You know, and I've, I was baptized here 10 years ago, and this is a new thing for me. So I'm really grateful to learn these new things. That's awesome. Kevin, thank you very much. Thank you. Deposit that in that mic stand over there if you would. By the way, uh, if you're interested in some help in this deeper dive, this Saturday we're doing prayer stations here. Uh, It'll just be a a prayer exercise that that will help you through this process. So go to mygateway.life for more details about that. So a part of our prayer effort this month is focused on what God has for us next as individuals, as families, and as a church. And on Sundays, we're spending our time together here uh, trying to prepare for what's next. We're, we're looking at how to get ready for what's next, and we're using the Old Testament book of Joshua as a, as a kind of a roadmap for how to get ready for what's next because in the book of Joshua, they're describing an epic adventure that they're about to undertake. And so we're, we're finding some principles that help us know how to get ready for what God has for us next. Here's our topic today. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. If we're going to move healthily into whatever God has for us next, we must claim a right view of God. We've got to see God the right way. We've got to understand God the right way if we're going to move healthily into what God has for us next. We're going to be looking at the story from Joshua chapter 2, but I want to begin in an odd place this morning. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Now, this is in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, go to Matthew chapter 1. I think I have that. I've just got the first uh, five or six verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus, his, his history, who, the line of people that he came from. You know, his great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. And genealogy was a really big deal in the ancient world. Now, in our times, we, we kind of see ourselves, we situate ourselves uh, by where we're from or or what we do for a living. These are the kinds of things that we ask one another. But in the ancient world, they situated themselves by knowing one another's ancestry. So this is a big deal. And Jesus' ancestry is very impressive. It includes people like Isaac and Jacob, who were the Old Testament patriarchs. It includes King David and King Solomon, the two godly rulers of Israel during their absolute high point. It includes Zerubbabel, the, the leader of the Jews during the rebuilding years after the Babylonian exile. You don't need to remember all of that. It's just some of the heroes of their history were in Jesus' ancestry. But verse 5 of Matthew 1 lists a surprising member of Jesus' genealogy. So if you see verse 5, I've got it underlined, whose mother was Rahab. Who in the world is Rahab? And how did she get into Jesus' genealogy? And shockingly, the answer to that question gives us a vital piece of information about how we move healthily into what's next for us. So who was Rahab? Well, we get the beginning of the answer to that in Joshua chapter 2. And instead of reading from uh, the scripture today in Joshua chapter 2, I'll read a paragraph of it in a moment. But I want you to hear the, a retelling of the story of Joshua chapter 2 as Miss Kristen Cole retold it. So this is the story from Joshua chapter 2. 
Listen up. The people of Israel were ready to take the land that God had promised to give them, the land of Canaan. Jericho was a wicked and powerful city in the land of Canaan. It was full of people who made bad choices and had rejected God in his ways. Joshua, a man of God, sent two men into the wicked city of Jericho to spy on it before they would capture the city for God's glory. God led these two Israelite men to stay in an unexpected, in an unexpected place, the house of Rahab. Now, Rahab had made many bad choices, some really bad choices. She was basically a professional sinner. In fact, many people paid her to help them make their own bad choices. Some people believe that her whole house was famous for helping people make bad choices. The spies may have gone to her house because it was a famous place in Jericho, and they could find a lot of information there. Listen, we need to understand that Rahab, because of who she was and what she did, she was an outcast. Even in her own community, she was an outcast. Even though people went to Rahab's house for help, they went to Rahab's house to get help to, to help them make bad choices. So they didn't like her. And her future was very, very dim. Her prospects were not very good at all. She was not someone who was going to live a good life and have a good family. She was in a very bad place without much hope of having that change. Okay, let's pick it back up. But even though Rahab was living a sinful life and rejecting God in all, all his ways, God led his servants to her so she would be led to God. When the wicked king of Jericho found out that the two Israelite spies were spying, the two Israelites were spying on their city, he ordered for them to be captured. Rahab believed that God had sent them and that the land of Canaan was meant for the Israelites, so she hid them on the roof of her house under some bundles of flax or hay, keeping it a secret from everyone else in the city. She had heard the amazing things. The amazing way God had saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt by parting the Red Sea and letting them walk right through the ocean. Rahab was ready to claim the right view of God. She recognized that God was above everything and more powerful than anything, and she was glad to give him her allegiance. So she hid the Israelites on her roof and sent the king's men to look for them all the way by the Jordan River. She did this even though getting caught would be a really risky thing for her. Rahab loved God so much that she desired for her family to also claim the right view of God. She helped the two Israelites escape from her home by lowering a red roof for them to, red roof, red rope for them to climb down. And in your packet, boys and girls, you've got a coloring sheet with a red rope if you want to work on that. As the men were sneaking back out of the wicked city of Jericho, they revealed a secret way that Rahab and her family could be saved when the rest of the Israelites came back to get the land God had promised them. She used the same red rope to mark her window so the Israelites would know that that house was safe and protected. The house with the red rope had claimed the right view of God. They knew God was supreme, and they were glad to give him their allegiance. Rahab and her family were saved because of their great faith. She would join with the Israelites, marry and have children, and she became the great-grandmother of King David, and eventually Jesus would be born through that same family line. All right, so who was Rahab? Let's summarize. She was someone who had made a very long list of very, very bad choices. She was someone who had no hope for the future. 
She was an outcast in Jericho who was looked down on by all the people around her. And then she became someone who recognized who God really is. And she became someone who who changed her allegiance. She gave her loyalty to God. And that changed everything about her life and her future. By the way, we're kind of like Rahab. If we're going to move healthily into what God has for us next, as individuals, as families, as a church, we've got to claim, or for some of us, cling to a right view of God. Here's what I mean. We're not going to be long, so stay with this. If you're just outside of faith, or if you're on the very edge of faith, or you may be coming back to faith, you've never really maybe been able to wrap your head around this whole story, or you don't know much of the story yet, or you're not sure where you stand. I pray that something in your mind and heart breaks free this morning, if that's you. Because the first and most important step in moving healthily into whatever God has next for us is to have a right view of him, to understand who he is, to get it. The first and most important step in moving healthily into whatever God has for us in our marriages, with our kids, with our career this next year, with the challenges that we'll face. The first and most important step in moving healthily into that is having a right view of God, seeing him rightly. The first step for Rahab was not reforming her bad choices. It wasn't getting her family in order. It was claiming a right view of God, really laying claim to that and and letting that realign her allegiances. That's what what reset her life and laid the foundation for her future. Listen to this. A.W. Tozer was exactly right when he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if you give God your allegiance, he will change your place in history. That's what he did with Rahab. I want to read that one critical paragraph where the author of Joshua describes for us, this is not on the screen, but the author of God, Joshua, describes for us what happened in Rahab's mind and heart. This is Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, Look, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Look. This is basically the process that Rahab went through. First, Rahab believed the stories that she heard about what God did. Secondly, Rahab understood what this meant. She got it. Holy smokes! If their God does that, he's bigger than just some little tribal God. In fact, he's over everything. Third, this caused a deep reverence or a fear of God in her. And fourth, She changed her allegiance. She was no longer loyal to the king of Jericho. She became loyal to God. 
in all of God's causes. Rahab was saved, and she became part of the people of God. She was included in the people of God, the former outcast. She was transformed from hopeless outcast to a member of God's special people, from professional sinner to great-great-grandmother of the Savior because she laid claim to a right view of God. Some of us need to recognize this in our lives today. Some of us need to claim that God is supreme, that God is above everything and more powerful than anything. Now, others of us, have been followers of Christ for a while. We gave him our allegiance a long time ago. Maybe when you were growing up, maybe as a teenager, maybe in your 20s, maybe it was before you moved to the United States. We gave him our allegiance. So the message for us isn't really lay claim to a right view of God. It's more cling to a right view of God. Keep that in front of us. Make that the center of our field of vision and keep it there. That will be one of the keys for us to move healthily into this, this next year is to keep the, <clears throat> the right view of God constantly in front of us. See, the Israelites, these people that Rahab joined, they already knew God. They had, they had participated in God's activity in the desert. They'd been schooled in the right view of God. But keeping that view was vital. Keeping that view was vital. And God gave them constant reminders of who he is and what he had done to keep that in front of them, to keep that right view in front of them because remembering this is vitally important to moving healthily into what God has next for us. Remembering who God is is vitally important for moving healthily into what God has next for us. There are many examples of how God kept this in front of them, but I want to give you a weird one. I've been reading through the book of Joshua for weeks now, and one of the most interesting reminders for me, when he's reminding the people who he is and what he's done, came in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. I think I've got that as a slide. Yeah, Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. Look at this. It looks innocent, but I thought about this verse, and it knocked me out. The Lord said to Joshua, now, they have not yet gone to destroy Jericho. They will in chapter 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. I am with you as I was with Moses. Think about what God is communicating there. God is saying, essentially, Joshua, it's not about Moses. It never was. I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. It's not about Moses. It's about me. And keep that in mind. What we're going to do next, what you, the challenge is facing you, you got this because I'm with you. I'm with you like I was with Moses. It is about me. Listen, that's what we do as a church. We don't gather here on Sunday mornings, and thank you for coming. I'm honored. But we don't gather here on Sunday mornings to do religion. We gather here to rehearse the truth about who God is and to cling to that and to help one another cling to that. We remind one another. So this morning, we're going to make a declaration together. And uh, I want you to be ready with all that you know of yourself to make this declaration before all that you know of God. Uh, We're going to stand and say this out loud together. We're going to say it with mind, heart, and will. 
uh, we're going to claim it this morning. So stand with me if you would. I've got two versions of the same declaration. And we'll start with this one. Boys and girls, you say this too. I understand that God is above everything, more powerful than anything, and I am happy to be loyal to him. Right? I think there's another one, Thomas. Did I put? Yes. Just the same thing reset, but it's shorter. I put a bunch of words in there for that word supreme. Above everything, more important than anything. All right, God's people, are you ready? Choir. I recognize that God is supreme and I gladly give him my allegiance. <laughs> you may be seated. Okay, later in the book of Joshua, in chapter 6, we find the story of the absolute destruction of Jericho, and it's a really cool story. Go read it this afternoon. This is the one, if you're familiar with this, if you've ever heard this story, the Israelites march around the city for six days in a row. The seventh day, they march around the city seven times, blow a bunch of horns, choirs start singing, and the walls of the city fall down. And they run in and kill everyone but Rahab and her family. Rahab and her family were saved. And they became a part of God's people. She was transformed from hopeless outcast to member of God's special people, from professional sinner to great-great-grandmother of the Savior. Her place in history was changed because she laid claim to the right view of God. Her place in history was changed. Because she laid claim to a right view of God. I, I wasn't going to talk about this this morning, but I, I ran it off and brought it out just in case. And I, I am going to real quickly. Uh, Jonathan Edwards is one of my heroes. He was, he was uh, I think, the greatest theologian, one of the greatest thinkers in American history. And uh, Jonathan Edwards lived in the 1700s, wrote, and, and uh, was a pastor and eventually became president of uh, Princeton University. Um, and that's where he died. Uh, somebody in the late 1800s, a sociologist, did a, a survey of five generations of Jonathan Edwards' children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, just the, the impact that Jonathan Edwards had through gen generations. And he compared that survey to uh, the, the genealogy of a man named Max Jukes. And Max Jukes was a professional criminal. He was in and out of prison uh, in the state of New York and fathered many children. Jonathan Edwards had a bunch of kids as well. And so he just compared the, what had happened to the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren of Max Jukes versus five generations of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes one vice president of the United States, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates, and no criminals. Max Jukes's legacy included Seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. There is no guarantee that every child that 
you and I have is going to become Vice President of the United States. This is all a work in progress, generation to generation. But there's a guarantee that if you give your heart and life to Jesus, he will change your place in history. He will change your legacy. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews gives a, 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 a laundry list of, of the heroes of the faith. It, it, you know, it's a hall of fame. Uh, Abraham, uh, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, etc., David. Rahab is in that chapter. Chapter 11, the hall of fame, Rahab is in that chapter. Why? How? Because Rahab claimed a right view of God, and it changed everything about her history. All right. I want us to do a, a prayer exercise, if we can, for just a few minutes. Uh, it won't be long, boys and girls, but I want you to get quiet. And boys and girls, I want you to participate as, as best you can as well. And I want you to let your moms and dads do this. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up if they would. And let's, let's engage in a prayer exercise this morning. First, I'd like you to just close your eyes and, and uh, get still for a moment and take like three deep breaths. Just breathe in and breathe out. Get really still. Okay, we're going to start by just thinking. Imagine for a minute <clears throat> that you're Rahab. And I want you to think about what you would have been most afraid of in this exchange. Maybe that, that, the, that the spies weren't telling the truth. Maybe that you were wrong and, and you had staked your life on destruction of the city. You and your family would be destroyed as well. What would you have been most afraid of? See if you can identify that. If you've got that in your mind or if you're close to it, I want you to ask a, an important question and be still with it for a minute and see, see what bubbles through your heart. How do you think God would speak to that fear? What would God say to Rahab? Lastly, if you would this morning, think of uh, your three favorite characteristics of God or the first three that come to mind. Just make a list of three characteristics of God. spend just a moment of energy laying claim to those or clinging to those. See yourself grab them. Hold them in front of you. Discard. Discard any other thoughts that begin to appear, your to-do list or what's happening right in front of you in your seat. Grab that and bring it right to the center of your field of vision. Three characteristics of God and hold it there.
Jesus, this morning we do our best to lay hold of a right view of God. We want you to be supreme. We want you to be the most important thing. We want you to be front and center in our field of vision. And I pray this morning that everything else would melt away as we cling to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 